in our weakness, he is strong. Has he ever been strong for you, church? Is he being strong for you right now? It's my hope today that as we dive into his word together, that we'll be able to lean into that reality that sometimes we've experienced in life. That like, it's really easy to read on paper that when we're weak, he is strong. But man, sometimes that's hard to actually see lived out. To where we release and we say, Jesus, I've had enough. I'm at the end of my rope and this is where I need your strength to kick in. Anybody else ever had one of those seasons where you're going, okay, Jesus, like, yeah, I've been weak for a while now. I need your strength to kick in. Well, if that's you, then I think today there's a word for you. For those of you who are, who are here, you're probably looking around, and, and maybe if you missed some of the communication along the while, you're like, hey, why are these little humans in here? <laughs> well, these little humans are our friends, and we love them. They're our children. And, and kids, uh, kids, hey, kids, every, if, you, if you're a little kid, here, I want you to do me a favor. Can you do me a favor if you're a little kid watching here in the, in the room with us? Can you just like make some noise and just be loud? Like on the count of three, I'm just going to let you yell. And then you've got to be quiet, okay? But I'm going to let you count. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to let you yell a little bit, okay? You listening? Everybody? We're good? Okay. One, two, three. Okay. You missed your shot. They missed their shot. Okay. Hey. Listen, moms and, and dads and kids, hey, we, we want to do a thing, again, we're, we're doing this family style, and if you're watching at home, we encourage you to do this family style as well. Um, one of the things that our amazing children's ministry team put together is, is kind of a, a listening activity for our kids. So in my message today, I'm going to mention three, maybe even four, the fourth one will be a bonus, but I'm going to mention three animals at least. If you can mark down and you can write down what those three animals are that I mentioned in today's message and you can put it in those little glass bowls in the back. Uh, they've got a prize that they're going to try to give. Uh, they're going to draw out of that. One kid's going to win. So again, you got three animals that are coming up in the course of today's message and if you can get all three and maybe a fourth, man, who knows. Uh, I may get five or six. There's no telling where the Holy Spirit may lead us today. But we're going to have some fun together, all right? Let's pray and we're going to dive into the word. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our house. Uh, we thank you for what you're doing through our people. Uh, be with us today as we dive into your word. Amen. So today's message is going to be a little bit of a continuation of last week's. Last week we, we began to track with the Apostle Paul as he was on this ship headed towards Rome to go and live out the call that God had put on his life. But in the midst of them heading towards Rome, they encountered a storm and the ship ended up wrecking. But Paul, before it wrecked, he had uh, God visit him and, and say, hey, listen, you're not going to die on this ship. Everybody is going to make it. You're going to live, uh, but you're going to run aground and you're going to land up or end up on an island. And so just be aware that's what's going to happen to you. And so today we're going to pick up this story. And last week we, we, we ended on this idea that oftentimes in life when storm happens and it feels like the boat of our life is going down, we tend to ask God, God, what is the reason this is happening? And last week we made the point that rather than looking for reasons, because man, there are a lot of times in life where you're going to have no idea what reasons the bad things are happening. That instead of looking for reasons that we should maybe look for a revelation of actually who God is and understanding who God is is what will actually allow us to get through the storms we're going through. And so today we're picking up with what happened after that. They actually land on this island called Malta. Everybody say Malta. Malta. I want to show you where Malta is. Let's check this out together. So this whole red 
uh, line that kind of squiggles through here, starting from this side going to that way, starting from my right going to my left, is how Paul's journey happened. So where we picked up in chapter 27 last week, Paul was in this place. You see Crete right there. Paul was in the port of Fair Havens. That's where he was at. And so they sailed from right there in Fair Havens, and they were trying to get all the way up through, in between Sicily and Italy, all the way up there to Rome at the top of the boot, okay? Top of the boot of Italy. But they find their place down here at Malta, this little blue island down here called Malta. Now, church, whether you realize it or not, you have visited Malta. You have found yourself in a place that was almost identical to what Paul was experiencing here. Because again, remember, Paul was one of the, if not the most influential person at that point in time for the gospel. He's a guy who said, I- I've got to go to Rome. I've got to go to Rome. That's what I've got to do. I- that is where I need to be. But he finds himself on an island and a roadblock, and an interruption. And many of us have visited seasons like that. We have had Malta seasons in our life where things are not where we thought they would be. And we look around at what our situation is, and we go, man, it's not supposed to feel like this. It's not supposed to be like this. I thought we would be further along than this right now. We've been experiencing hate and oppression for this long. I thought we would be further along than this. We've been trying to figure out how to be united as a church for so long. How can we still be where we are right now? See, we all enter into multi seasons, and for all of us, this pandemic has kind of caused a multi season. We never thought that we'd be coming to church in, in rows of fives and fours and threes and twos and ones. We just thought the whole place would be, and you can put your butt wherever you want to put your butt. Now you got me telling you where to put your butt. That's weird. Malta is that season when you're 32 and you're still single. Malta is that season where you move back in with your mother-in-law. Malta is that season where your mama moves in with you. Malta is that season where you never thought that you would have anxiety. You heard other guys talk about anxiety, but that was just because they're more emotional than you. And now you've got it. Malta is when you said, oh, my kids will never act up. But then you had kids and they acted up. Those are those Malta seasons that we can find ourselves in and our propensity in those seasons is to go, God, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And so today, what I want to talk to you about is how to make the most of the Malta seasons that we all will enter into. Most of the seasons of the in-between. So if you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 28. That's where we're going to be. Acts 28, starting verse 1 and 2. Hey, hush. He's, he's mine, I can tell him. <laughs> Just kidding. Acts 1 and 2 says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. And again, you're hearing a we in here because Luke is with Paul on this journey. We found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Now, this again proves the point that God's grace will not necessarily keep you out of a storm, but God's grace will give you a place to land. It will give you a place, and and God is always working before and ahead of time to put people in there on the other side of it. Verse 3, Paul, he's doing Paul things. Paul doesn't slow down. Shipwreck don't stop me. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out, a viper is a snake, snake, viper, driven out by the heat, 
fastened itself to his hand. Okay, now before we get into the whole snake thing, I want you to see what Paul was doing that led to the snake thing. Okay, track with me on this. Paul, instead of being a guy who says, okay, I was preaching the gospel, doing what was good, God, and you got me arrested. I got arrested. And then I was on these, all these fake trials, and then I was put in chains, and then I was put on this boat, and then I told these idiots that that was not the right way to go, and this was a bad season to go, but they were dumb, and they didn't listen to me. And then we got in this big wreck, and the boat fell to pieces, and I had to swim, and there wasn't, you didn't send a dolphin to help me get to sea earlier. Dolphin, you didn't send a dolphin, Jesus. And it just made me wash up on shore. Paul had every right to just want to get back on the beach and go, like, somebody build a fire because I'm not supposed to be here. And this is ridiculous. He had every reason to pout and every reason to make excuse. But here's the deal. Paul knew that the God he served was the type of God who'd walk into a room full of 12 to 11 other men and take off his outer garments and get down with their nasty, dirty, filthy, Palestinian road, dirt, filled feet. And as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who spoke the universe into existence, would wash filthy feet. And so for Paul, serving was not below him because he had seen the greatness of his God and he had seen what serving looked like as he had met and talked with these disciples as they had told him stories of how Jesus lived and how Jesus acted. And so the first choice that we've got to make if we want to make the most out of the multi-seasons that we enter into is we have got to choose service over self-pity. We've got to choose to serve as opposed to being self-pitiful and, and making excuses and, and, and wondering why and all these other types of things. Look, these seasons are going to happen. There's no way to avoid these. And so for us, again, if we're going to follow a Jesus, one who calls us to serve, we've got to understand that that's not going to be easy because we live in a society that doesn't really celebrate servants. We live in a society that celebrates stars. And so Jesus comes and he asks, he says, he says, I am looking for co-laborers. The problem with us signing up to be a co-laborer is much more of us would rather sign up to be a co-star and say, Jesus, I just want a co-star. Like, I want to I I be a guy who makes the pages. I want to be this. And so oftentimes, the un-star-worthy service opportunities, they go unfulfilled. And see, in these multi-seasons, I believe that God wants to take some of you to places that you have never been before. I believe that he wants to promote you to levels of influence. I believe that he wants to take you to a place where you're able to lead your family different, where you're able to lead your kids different, where you're able to lead your spouse different, where you're able to lead at work differently. I believe that's what he wants to do. But here's the deal. The number one criteria that I believe God is looking for in order to promote people is humility. Go, go, go in your quiet time this week and read Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul made it very clear when he was writing through the inspiration of Jesus that Jesus, who was very nature God, did not consider God, uh, equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he took on the nature of a servant, made himself nothing, humbling himself to the point of death. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest of highs. The way I explained this to my little boy is God, Jesus was way up here, he humbled himself way down here, and because of that, God took him way back up here. And so for some of you, I think there are some places that God wants to take you 
but man, I know that I have pushed delay on some of the places that God wants to take me because of my own pride, my own, own willingness to serve in the ways that he was calling me to serve. And so if we want to make the most of Malta, we have to choose service over self-pity. So Paul is doing that. And even though he is still weary, he is working. But in the midst of his weariness and him working through that, the enemy shows up. And here's the deal. Look at the snake. Snake grabs onto him. I want you to know this. The enemy loves to strike when you are stressed. The enemy loves to strike when that little kid that you're potty training poops in their pants for the third time that day. The enemy loves to strike when you get home from a really hard day's work and your dog has knocked over the trash can and ate trash and then barfed trash. And that's what you get to walk into after a terrible, hard day at work. The enemy loves to strike after an argument with your spouse. He loves to strike when you have more bills than you have dollar bills at the end of the month. He loves to strike in those seasons. But as Paul was weary and as Paul was working, I I think that Paul responded in a way that was incredibly powerful. Look what it says in Acts 28 verse 4. The islanders, they see what happens here. They see a snake hanging off of good old Paul's arm. They said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. See, guys, you got to watch people sometimes. Y'all know that, right? Like when, especially when you're going through something. See, because here's the deal about Paul, something that he was going through. Like all of us, sometimes we go through private stuff. But what do you do when you start to go through something in public? And then people start talking, and everybody knows what's going on because somebody mentioned it in a prayer request, and it got out. <laughs> See, sometimes the only exercise people get is jumping to conclusions. And my hope and my prayer that for us as a church, in a very sensitive time, that we would not be a church that is quick to jump to conclusions about what is going on in other people's lives, even if it is them emotionally responding in a way where we go, hmm, I would never have said anything like that. I would never have posted anything about like that. How dare they? Look, let's be a church who chooses our unity and our togetherness and chooses to believe the best about other people first. Here's the deal. You can't claim to follow a God who has chosen to overlook all of your worst and see the best in you, his son in you, and not be willing to do that in other people. So they see what he's going through. They don't come to help. They don't offer him Tylenol. They don't try to get him off. They don't do anything like that to help with the whole snake bite situation. But I love what Paul, how he responds. And it's like he preaches this amazing sermon without saying a word. It's as if Paul, looking at the snake on his arm, goes, mm, okay, yeah, so this snake, yeah, that's a thing. But here's the deal. Uh, a storm couldn't kill me. A shipwreck couldn't kill me. The soldiers who wanted to kill me couldn't kill me. And so, snake, you're not going to kill me. It's as if Paul understood this fact that, okay, God showed up to me, said, I'm not going to die on an island. I'm going to make it to Rome. And this island is just a pit stop on the Rome. So, so this, this snake thing, like, it's not going to take me down. And he didn't try to convince the people around him of why it was happening. He didn't ask them to pray for the snake. He didn't ask the island committee of what they think he should do. Simply put, verse 5, Paul shook the snake 
off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Which leads me to my second choice that we've got to make if we want to make the most of Malta. If you want to make the most of Malta, choose to depend and not to defend. Choose to depend and not to defend. So what I mean by that is Paul was choosing to depend on the revelation that God had already given him. He says, I'm going to depend on the fact that God already said, I am going to make it out of this. I'm going to go to Rome instead of defending that. Now, here's the deal. They called him a murderer. Now, I don't know about you, and you know, maybe you do your thing different than I do my thing, but if I'm just walking the street and something bad happens to me and somebody says that thing that bad happened to me because I'm a murderer, I don't know about you, but I'm probably going to defend myself. Like I wanted to, We want to justify when people lie, do we not? Big lies, small lies, we want to justify even sometimes when there's a little bit of truth, right? Come on, you know, be honest today. We still want to justify and We don't want to tell them about that. You know, it, yeah, they were 99% right, but they, there was 1% where I really did some bad. But I don't want to talk about that. Here's the deal. Paul chose to take what they had said about him and not let him hold him back from what he needed to do. Because I think Paul understood this. He understood that all this was really an attack from the enemy. Think about, think about snakes in the Bible. What do snakes always represent? They, they represent Satan, right? So snakes represent Satan. Comes out of the fire. Paul's going over. He picks up, picks up the sticks. And then inside the sticks is a snake. God wants you to pick up sticks. He wants you to do his work. But sometimes in the midst of helping, there's hurt. How many of you have ever been hurt trying to help somebody? Yeah, husbands raising their hand going, yeah, I was just trying to help. Yeah, I don't know, man. I was just, well, listen, this is one of the things I've learned to ask. This is a great question, husband. This is just free advice today I wanted to give to you guys. Sometimes you have to ask the question, do you want me to listen or do you want me to try to solve this? It's a great question. It's a hard question. Um, But sometimes they just need you to listen. I found out the hard way. So here's the deal. I want to ask you a question. These people, they make an accusation to Paul, Right? They accuse him of being a murderer, which, was that a true accusation or a false accusation? Oh, I love the division in the room. Good division. This is the only kind that's good. This was a true accusation. And see, this is what I want you to see. Again, remember, snake. Anytime a snake shows, a snake shows up in the Bible, that's a representation of, of the enemy on the scene. Satan on the scene, a snake. Now look what happens. He shows up and the thing out of their mouth is he must be a murderer which is a direct attack on Paul's past. A lot of theologians go back and forth. Paul, in in the gospel, or in in his epistles, he wrote about this thorn in the flesh that he had. A lot of people say there's a couple of different things. One of the primary things that they say was Paul's thorn in the flesh was the fact that he could not get over the fact that he had a really messed up past. That in his past, he had murdered some of the people who now he was leading people to. He had murdered Christians in his past. And so here in this moment, they are going, and again, they don't know Paul. They don't know Paul from anybody else. But they go, ooh, he's a murderer which is Satan attacking his past. And I love what happens next because it shows you the power that I believe is in the blood of Jesus to overcome past. Because here's the deal. Satan loves to attack our past because he knows that your past is where the the majority of your insecurities are actually tied to. Well, you're nervous about what that guy is going to think about you because your father always made you think twice about whether you're worth it. 
well, you're, you're, you're nervous if you're ever going to find a spouse because you had that person who broke up with you seven years ago say that you're never going to get married. Well, you're nervous that you're ever going to have kids because you committed some sin that you thought was so big, and now you're worried that, that God's holding a grudge against you. See, Satan loves to tire insecurities to mistakes in the past. Sometimes even mistakes that we didn't do, but other people did to us. And in this moment, as I thought through this, like, what's actually happening right there? I kind of went one or two ways. Like, did the venom not come out of the snake? Or did the venom come out of, because again, everybody on the island was like, that's a poison snake. Did the venom not come out of the snake? Or did the venom go into the snake? Now, again, if you know anything about snake venom, or you know anything about poison, poison goes into a person. And what does it attack? Their blood. Regardless if the venom did not come out or not, or regardless if the venom went into Paul's bloodstream or not, here's the deal, guys. There was something more powerful in Paul's blood than the venom and the poison that was going into Paul's blood. The blood of Jesus is what was covering Paul. And so in this moment, I believe Paul stands up and says, no, 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 I'm not a murderer. I am a chosen instrument of God. I am Abba's child. I am transformed. I am being used by God. I am being a mouthpiece for the Asians. I am going to be used by God, and I am not a murderer. I am not defined by what I have done. I am defined by what Jesus has done for me. That is the defining characteristic of my life, and that's the defining characteristic of your life. So when the snake tries to latch on to you and tries to bring back up your past, remind him that you are not what you've done. You are what's been done for you by the power and the blood of Jesus. Here's what I want you to know. Yeah, you can clap. Go, go crazy, folks. I'm just glad to have you here. Like, it's so weird not preaching to a camera anymore. <laughs> What's fascinating to bring all this full circle is Paul makes it off of Malta, finds his way to Rome. While he's in Rome, he writes what's called the prison epistles. Four books, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and the book of Philemon. I want to read you something he wrote in the book of Colossians. In Colossians 1, 19 through 20, he said this. Now, again, listen to this with the fact that he was bitten and protected from the poison in mind. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of the cross Paul says good luck Satan trying to attack my past the blood that you are trying to find your way into is protected by the blood of Jesus on the cross and for you that same thing is true the story goes on in Acts 20, 28 verse 6 it says the people expect him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to them, they changed their minds and said, he's a God. So again, one hand they're going, you're a murderer. The other hand, he's a God. This again, a teenager, young person in the room, listen to me. If I could ever use a story to tell you not to pay too much attention to what people think about you and what people say about you, it would be this story. If people can go from one moment going, you're a murderer, to the next, you're a God, there is no amount of craziness that someone can talk about you. So don't put a whole lot of stock in that, young person. Trust me. They did the same thing to Paul. They did the same thing to Jesus. Jesus walked into, or rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. They sounded, Hosanna, Hosanna, you're the worthy king. And a few days later, they said, crucify, crucify, crucify. So Paul, he shakes the snake off, word gets out, Acts 28 verse 7 says that there was an estate nearby, so a big, you know, wealthy uh, home and lands where somebody had built up something on the island, 
and nearby, and it belonged to Publius. Me and my wife went back and forth about how to pronounce that. She said Publius was not a good way to say it. Um, but it got laughs, so that's, that's something. So Publius, which is a, a child's name that's a, totally available if you want, you know, go for that. He's the chief official on the island. And he welcomed him into his home and he showed him generous hospitality for three days. So I don't want you to miss this because this is one of the things where we get so angry that we go through adversity. Paul's adversity led to this amazing opportunity. And you think about most of our lives. Think about where you are right now. The greatest opportunities that you've had to share the gospel with other people. Have they not come somewhat because of the adversity that you face? Think about where you are right now. What role did adversity place in getting you to the place you are right now? It's so much of our story. And adversity oftentimes is exactly what God uses to be the path to pave a way for an opportunity that we would have no other way faced. And so in verse 8 and 9, we see Paul tiptoeing up to finally discovering the reason why. Finally discovering why he stopped on Malta. I imagine that Paul's in this guy Publius' house and walks by a room and he kind of looks in and he sees this guy bedridden and he, he's like hey what's, go, what's going on there and verse 8 and 9 says his father was sick in bed suffering from fever and dysentery and Paul went in to see him and after prayer he placed his hands on him and he healed them and when this happened the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured see Paul He finds his reason, but he did not find the reason until he went through the storm. So many times we want God to just pull us out of storms. But if God pulls you out of the storm, you'd miss the reason you were in it to begin with. So Paul Paul went through the storm, and God will allow you to go through a storm and get you to a place where he could use you to do things that no one else could. And I love how Paul preaches the gospel here in this verse. Watch, Watch what happens here. Paul to these people who used to think he was a god. Now, he, he's got some work to do to disprove that, right? Because, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a pretty high level of power when you got, you know, a group of islanders going, you're a god. Like, you can do whatever you want to do. Like, bring me the, you know, coconuts, bring me this, make me a raft. You can do whatever you want. Paul doesn't do any of that. He doesn't use that power to his advantage. Instead, he points the power to where it really lies. And he puts this horizontal and vertical plane back into play. And this is what I want you to understand about your life, whether you're a young person or old person. You, as a child of God, someone who, like the song we sang about earlier, you've been born again into a family. His blood flows through your veins. You now have direct access to connect with God. And so you can talk with him. You can commune with him. You can't do any miracles. You can't on your own heal racial tension. Those are miraculous things that only have to happen and it can only be done by the love and the grace of God. But don't, it does not stop there. We are not people who cross our arms and go, God, just do stuff. God, if we could just escape this world, it's crazy, God. If we could just get out of here, everybody's mad at everybody. I don't know what to do. We are not an arms crossed people. Paul takes the very arm, the very hand that had a snake hanging off of it, says, I'm going to connect with God, and then I'm going to connect with this man, and he puts his hand on Publius' father. He prays for him, and he heals him, and a revival breaks out on the island of Malta, a place someone as important as Paul was never supposed to be. And God wants to use you to do something miraculous, something that only could happen through your surrenderedness, 
is going to take you going, God, I'm choosing to serve over self-pity. God, I'm choosing to depend on you rather than try to defend myself. And then lastly, it's going to take you going, I am choosing to be missional instead of miserable. And guys, if there was ever a season where you may feel like you got an excuse to be miserable, you might be able to tag it to the season we're in. There's a lot of things that can make a lot of people lose a lot of hope. But don't. Our hope was never in this world. Our hope has never been in whether or not we can gather together and be in person. Our hope has never been in whether or not everybody gets along. Our hope has been in God, use us to not be a hands-crossed people, but use us to be the ones who reach out our hands, touch those who are hurting, and heal through your power. That's what we see happen as it wraps up in verse 10. Said they honored us, talking about the islanders. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. See, if you'll do what God put you there to do, he will supply what you need to take you where he's leading you. That's how he works, guys. That's what he does. Getting ready to go into a time of communion now. Where I invite you to meet with this God maybe has you in a season where there's some things he wants to do. We're all in this in-between time. And there's some choices we've all got to make. For you, has this been a season where you found yourself being more missional or more miserable? Confess that. Pray through that. And allow Jesus to change that in your heart today. And if you're here today and you feel like you're in the midst of the storm... We want to pray with you. If you're online, we, we encourage you. This time is where you can post comments in the prayer request. And we have a team of people who would love to pray with you. If you want to make a decision to follow Christ, you can do that. If, if you want to stay around down here and keep stay six feet away from me, I'll pray for you. But God is on the move and he's on the work. And I pray that we can trust him through the season we're in. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the grace and the glory that we get to experience and encounter. We are so unworthy. But we beg you to change our hearts, to fill them with your love and grace. In your name, amen. So in the room, and you can hear all these communion things wrapping up and opening up and everything else. And for the time being, that's going to be how we celebrate communion together. You've got it there individually with you. If you miss getting communion on your way in, there's a red table right there in the back. You can do that. If you're watching at home again.